This podcast is sponsored by Australian Christian College, a network of schools committed to student wellbeing, character development and academic improvement. Welcome to the Inspiration Project, where well-known Christians share their stories to inspire young people in their faith and life. Here's your host, Brendan Kaur. Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Inspiration Project podcast. Delighted to have Mark McCrindle join us for a conversation this morning. Mark is the Chief Director of McCrindle Research, founded that company uh, 15 years ago, uh, having done some studies in uh, some social sciences uh, through his university. McCrindle Research has become an award-winning social research company. Uh, Mark is a best-selling author. He's often invited to give comment on uh, strategy and tactics to the boards, executives, and even government. Regularly features on some of the television shows where we're trying to analyze and understand exactly what's going on with our society and our world around us. Mark McCrindle, thank you for coming and giving us your time. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. So, Mark, um, social research is is not something that necessarily might be in the minds of every high school student. What was it that led you to this particular area of of uh, interest that's become a business for you? Well, I always had an interest in people, um, not just individuals and how people make decisions, uh, uh, how their context their context shapes them, or attitudes play out in decisions and pathways, but how groups of people interact, how communities make decisions and think. And so um, that was the genesis for me of moving to this field of social research. I, like many young people, uh, went off to study psychology and I found that an excellent foundation, um, understanding those behavioral patterns of people, um, but moved on to more of a sociology area after that with a master's and uh, and now work in this of social research, which is different to market research, where you might look at how to market to people. Social research is understanding decisions and preferences and attitudes and behaviors of groups and of society, but more around how, therefore, organizations can better lead or employ or meet the needs of or communicate with Mm. the communities around them. Mm. So uh, psychology, first step into the world of how people think or or what what is sort of thinking and then then the social group sort of thinking. There is, I know we'll get into asking a little bit about your, your um, faith background in a moment. I know you're a, a person of very strong, grounded faith. Sometimes there is a suspicion of people from a, a Christian faith background that, that psychology isn't a good fit. Did you experience any of that, any of that sort of concern or advice that might have come to you? I sure did, and that, you know, spot on describes my circumstances. Uh, I've grown up in a fairly conservative church, and when I got talking to people, particularly some of the older people about my plans as I was completing year 12, I said, well, I plan on studying a psychology degree at university. Mm. Uh, I certainly got a few strange looks because there is a perception um, of a lot of the behavioral sciences that they have a philosophy that might be counter to the Christian worldview, and that's probably true of any discipline Mm. uh, that you can study. Mm. But um, nonetheless, I found my four years studying psychology to be excellent, and definitely there were 
there's a, a basic assumption there are worldviews that are quite contrary to a Christian understanding. But but that's healthy and helpful for us as Christians as we venture into our mm. our our disciplines, our our um, pathway in life to understand the breadth of the views out there and to hopefully have a faith that will not waver mm. amidst those differing views. Being exposed to those different perspectives is, is, is excellent as we make our way into a very diverse world. Mm. Um, I found that, uh, that some of the basic assumptions on which the whole psychological therapies were based um, didn't align with my perspective of how someone can be helped. Mm. And ultimately, practicing psychology clinically uh, wasn't the pathway for me, but the the training in the background was excellent mm. and uh, and certainly um, equipped me well for the, the next uh, step mm. into uh, into understanding and, and practicing social research. So it sounds if I if I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, I misunderstand what you're describing. There there were elements of of uh, your comments there that was a little bit like uh, I, I want to be familiar with the different views of the world and found that they weren't directly in conflict with your Christian thinking. Was there any way where you found actually your Christian thinking was enriched and and uh, deepened by your study of psychology? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, it's not combative. But off you go, Mark. Well, that's right. And I think that's the attitude that we need to bring. You know, all, all students... Uh, will find particularly as they move from a Christian schooling environment to a mainstream university, uh, they will find that they have stepped into a, a, a perspective. Uh, they will consistently hear worldviews that are not only very different to what they've been shaped in, but quite hostile to that Christian worldview. And, um, and I experienced that as well. However, it is um, a blessing because it does help us really assess our perspectives and therefore work out how we can, um, with grace and in relational contexts, uh, be salt and light in our community, uh, give an answer to the hope that we have, but mm. doing it with gentleness and respect. Mm. And that can't happen forever purely within a Christian educational context. You've got to step out, I think, having that worldview well forged mm. um, into the broader uh, society and, and universities are, are great places for that. Mm. I also found that so many of my colleagues that had chosen psychology as their profession, as their direction, um, were motivated to help uh, others. Yeah. They had a good uh, motivation for that and, uh, and, and they didn't share uh, the same philosophical underpinnings, but they they were motivated to make a difference in the world, and and, and Christians are uh, all all over will will champion mm. uh, that attitude. So, so clearly, it, it sounds like you were a young person who was confidently able to plot your own path, and whether it was to stand resolute with the advice from your Christian mentors and elders um, about maybe step that you were taking into the realm of psychology might not have been helpful and you could plot a path your own. And when you're at university, the influence the other way of non-Christian worldviews and lecturers and professors who might have been wanting you to think differently, you you were able to keep true to your sense of 
what God was doing in your life? Has that been an attribute that you've always had? Have you acquired that? Where, where do you attribute your strength of of self self? Yeah. Well, that's right, and and I think what is key is one's own personal walk with God. It's our own faith, uh, and and definitely we can get the. Uh, the support, the encouragement, the, the collegiality from Christian groups on campus. And I would recommend uh, young people uh, get involved in those Christian groups and have an impact while they're there in those university years. Uh, and, of course, we maintain, hopefully, our connections with our church and youth ministries and, and serving our churches through, through programs. All of that will, will be key. But it is our own walk with the Lord that is, is essential mm. um, as we as we move from more protective environments of schooling and, and the family unit into uh, part, charting our own pathway um, as we move through those, through those formative independent uh, developing years. Mm. And, uh, and that's both aspects, the, 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 the social supports as well as that, that individual um, journey uh, I found uh, key as mm. I, I made my way through the university um, pathway. Mm, you, you mentioned the importance of a personal walk. Um, can, would you be willing to share with us what what was your experience of finding a personal relationship with with the Lord? Yes. Well, it comes back to our focus uh, in, in abiding in Christ uh, mm. is that biblical term. You know that that it's a relationship. Uh, it's a relationship that we develop through talking to the Lord, mm. uh, through prayer, through through reading his word and, and having that shape us. Mm. And certainly there are great Christian books that will assist and, uh, and, and study guides and the like, but ultimately it does come to that, mm. to that faith journey where we, where we walk and pray uh, with our Lord and, um, and study his word for guidance. And, and, you know, I, I found, um, uh, myself, no real wavering, despite the strength of opinions that were put before me from mm. very scholarly lecturers, uh, from professors who, um, who who were quite strident in their push back against things of of, of faith or religion. Um, I, I didn't uh, I didn't find any um, wavering myself because Christ is in my life and yeah. I walk with the Lord and. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, when you have a lived experience, when you have uh, a daily uh, walk, then, then, then faith, your faith is not up for grabs. And, uh, and I did find that those forging years through university very helpful. Mm. I, I was uh, part of the Army Reserve in that time as well, oh. and that can be another harsh environment. But, uh, but, but often, you know, in those, in those times where we, are, uh, where we face a bit of opposition, uh, it actually strengthens our faith and, and our resolve, and um, and that can be a, a very healthy and informative experience. So, for you, you mentioned you grew up in a in a Christian school. You went to a strong Christian church. Your family strong believers. Where did you get? A, when did you develop a sense that it wasn't just the people you were mixing with, but this was your relationship? God was talking to you, not just talking generally. Mm. Well, I knew at a pretty young age that I had to make my own decisions about what I believed and who I was living for and what I thought of these messages that I'd heard 
uh, from the Bible since I was uh, a youngster. And so, you know, as is often said, God doesn't have grandchildren. We're either his children or we're not. Mm. We have to make our own decisions. We don't inherit the faith mm. uh, through parents or through a long lineage. And I was blessed to have parents and grandparents and beyond that who had uh, who, would, who would walk with the Lord as well. So, so I made my own decision as a, as a young man, and um, and and knew that that while your know, parents would offer support, while others uh, would offer encouragement, um, it was it was one's own decisions and, um, and and values that were key. And I saw in that time, as so many young people do, um, friends that you go to youth group with, people that you had Bible studies with, or sat beside in the Christian. Uh, classes at a school um, uh, didn't didn't go on uh, with their faith and, and at some point uh, put that down and headed off into another direction. All that is very sad, but it's the it's the reality of, of life and I I just knew that uh, that I needed to to um, make sure that I uh, was not going to deny what I knew was was the reality from from uh, you know what I had lived and, and experienced from a very young age. Yeah, that's good. So you you talked about the protective environment of the school and of family and of church and how that scaffolded your capacity to engage in, in some more broader thinking at university. There are, there'll be some, and maybe those very friends of yours who took another path would have seen that as not a protective environment, but as a little Christian bubble that was, that was, um, Keeping you from well, the truth. How, how do you respond we, to those sorts of views? That's that's a, a, a real perspective that people bring. Um, I've been doing a little bit of gardening with my children recently, and we've been uh, planted some seeds. We've been watching these these seeds uh, become seedlings, become the the, the little green shoots that uh, eventually will become vegetables and uh, and, um, and and small bushes and. And, and what we see in that experience is that you actually need to nurture those seedlings. They take a little bit of care. You can't just scatter the seeds in the in, in the broad garden and think you're going to end up with something. Uh, mm. Once you see the seedling there and it's starting to grow, then it's got its strength to be planted yeah. um, in the in the bigger garden. And it's like that yeah, yeah. Uh, as we develop as individuals. You know, I am a raving fan of Christian education because when we're young the support of that Christian school, the fact that the the bias of the school, the general culture of the school is towards um, aligning or, or championing uh, one's faith and that it supports and, uh, and aligns with the, the parental um, values that are shared with the children uh, is such an important thing. Now, as children get older as they um, develop their own strength and their own faith, uh, then by all means, they're ready to head out into the broader world. Like mm. we'll take those seedlings and put them in, in the garden, but, but not when they're young because it's unlikely that, that, that that's going to be a healthy outcome. So, so that's been my experience mm. of Christian education. It supports, it nurtures, it, it upholds, and it helps align those mm. worldviews uh, rather than offering confusion mm. where the home values are very different to the to the classroom values. And, and, and I also find that Christian schools are not 
bubbles, not my experience of them. They're not mm. like the drawbridge experience. Where you pull up the bridge, don't let any outsiders in here. Mm. They're actually lighthouses, yeah, yeah. you know, where they say, this is what we believe and we have been equipped with with a hope and with the foundation and with these values, not to feel good about ourselves uh, or to shut others out, but the opposite, to go out and serve and support yeah. and help that's and, and be light uh, where there's even more need for that. And that's, that's what Christian schools are these days, and, and they are difference makers mm. uh, in their communities at large. Yeah, that's good. So, Mark, we've been talking a bit about uh, the, the, the place of individual conviction, individual understanding. You moved from a psychology that was focused on an individual's way of, of perceiving and responding to more a demographic view, soci- sociology, and looking at the collective way of being that um, that can be observed and described. You, you've written a few books that were looking at the way in which there can be demarcations in approaches or assumptions that groups will bring. Where Are, are they real things? Are those Gen Y, Gen X, Gen Z, millennials, are, are, they, are they real or are they just stories that guys like you can whip up around bits of data? Yeah, great question. Well, there's a being of psychologist, there's a great American psychologist called Carl Rogers, and he had a saying, he said, what's most personal is most universal. Mm. And it's an interesting uh, point to ponder that the yearnings of the heart, the individual hopes and dreams, the uncertainties uh, that we carry, the insecurities, are actually replicated across others mm. within our community or more broadly. That is to say that there are great similarities uh, across individuals to, to groups, societies, and communities. And that's what we look at in social research. We recognize that people are who they are based on their life stage. Mm. And that's where the generations come in. You know, people in their teenage years have different interests and uh, uh, the time priorities and, and, and they're just at a different point in life than people in their 60s. It's just self-evident. The, the, the times that we're shaped in are different. Those that came of age in the 1960s, that was a different era to the 1980s and that's different to, to this very fast-changing era of today in, this, in the 2020s. And, uh, and so it is with the technologies that we experience, the events, the, the broader experiences that leave fingerprints on us that a society goes through, whether it be World War II, whether it be in a more recent time, you know, this COVID-19 situation, such experiences impact the generation to live through them, particularly those in their formative years. And all of that is just to highlight that we are who we are through our age, through our events or experiences or, or culture. There's uh, an old saying in social analysis that people resemble their times more than they resemble their parents. Mm. And in so many ways, we are the products of our times. Um, and now some people just become a product of the times unconsciously. Others observe the times, and so they're cautious and they will deliberately push back against that so that they don't just become absorbed into the digital mm. screen era of today. But nonetheless, the times that we live through, leave fingerprints on us. Mm. And so by analysing the culture, the times, the events, the generations, the life stages, and even socioeconomics and segments and other 
definers, uh, psychographics and the like. We can understand groups within a society. We can understand communities and therefore we can understand how to best meet their needs or communicate with them or best manage or lead them. And that's the, the realm of a social researcher. So tr- trying to bring those two things together, your, your fundamental understanding of an individual psychology and then the dynamics of a group identity and the, the role of culture how do you understand the interplay between those things? What, how much of me is actually me, and how much of it is my age, my stage, my my culture that that I've worn in? Where, where do you find a sense of self in that? Yeah, that's that's a great question, and and a, a particular conundrum, you know, where people uh, can sometimes take things too far and think that uh, that actually every generation is completely creating their own um, experience or needs, uh, little realizing that actually a lot of what makes us who we are are timeless realities and don't change even though the context does. And we know this biblically, that the yearnings of the heart, the desire for security, uh, uh, the the fact that we look for things beyond the temporal, uh, that eternity is on the hearts uh, of people. That, that we have a sense, a yearning, and a knowledge that there is uh, something greater than just us, the transcendent. Mm. Uh, these are timeless values you will find amongst tribes, people from mm. the most remote uh, villages uh, to the biggest cities. You'll find in our time and you'll find in the ancient times. Mm. Uh, it's, it's timeless. So we need to identify what those timeless human drivers and needs are mm what the contemporary trend-driven ones are and, and, and bring some nuance to that. And, and to further your point, we need to understand that, yes, there are unique generational realities. The language that is spoken, the use of technology by Generation Z is quite different to how us Gen Xs mm. use technology or, or, or interact, even though we might all use the same technology. Mm. They will use it more intuitively. Uh, it, it's more... Uh, part of their life, and for me, who'll use it productively or transactionally, mm. I'll pick it up as a tool, I'll utilize it, and I'll put it back down. It's quite a different approach. So there are some uniquenesses across the generations. They are distinct mm. cohorts, and yet we also need to remember that we share more in common as humans across the generations than might be those uniquenesses yeah. within a generation. Yeah. And, and all of that is important as well. So that's the art of the nuance. That's the, mm. the, the conundrums and I guess you would say the, the delineations that social or behavioral scientists bring to these equations mm. that don't overstate the power of a group or the distinction of a cohort, mm. but, but nor do they think that times are unchanged so we are who we are we'll always be the same because mm. we do express or live those values views and perspectives differently year by year yeah, that, that's that's very good very helpful let me ask you this you're you're a man of faith you you've grounded in a as you just said a, a strong heritage you're involved in research that's looking at the way thinking changes and the way society changes is it is it a is christianity commissioned to respond to those changes? Should faith be changing generation by generation? I like, uh, I like Paul's view on this, the Apostle Paul, when he writes in 
Colossians to the church there, he asked them to pray for him. And he asked for two things in his prayer. He says, pray that God will open a door for this message, this good news message I have. So God is sovereign to open the doors. But he asked for a second prayer and pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Mm. So there's both the divine sovereignty and the human responsibility. Mm. There's God's role to provide the open doors and there's our role to be clear in our communication to take Mm. full advantage of those opportunities that God provides. Mm. And that's what I would say is the case for Christianity and the case for the church, that God is sovereign. It's Christ's church. Mm. We're not creating it or inventing it. We're not changing the message. We are mere messengers. However, each of us in our era has a responsibility to communicate that message in effective ways for our community, our times, and our culture. Mm, And we ought not preach or minister the way Paul did as a Middle Middle Easterner in the first century when we're in the West in the 21st. Um, And I think that's that's self-evident to most. Therefore, we do have to understand our times. We do have to have a key uh, perspective on our audiences or in our communities so that we can effectively be those messengers, be those translators of an unchanging Mm. message and ministry Mm. in changing times. Mm. If you look at Paul, he was an innovator. He was an entrepreneur from a ministry perspective. He Mm. used the latest technology of the Roman roads Mm. and new transport to see his letters and his epistles spread. We Mm. saw him use the common language of Greek, Koine Greek, which was opening up the world, connecting the world Mm. in a connection form. And he used that language very well. And, And if he was in our day, he would be using the modern technologies of the internet or maybe social media or maybe Zoom calls on podcasts yeah, like yeah, this yeah. are to great effect because, you know, the message is sacred, but the methods are changeable, are, are, are temporal, and we need to be pragmatic uh, in terms of utilizing effectiveness, mm. even though we do not change the core of, of what we're about. Yeah, that, that's good. Along those similar lines, there's often, well, at least some in, in my experience, there's been the call for the church to be countercultural for us to be ostensibly different. Do you, how do you reconcile that notion and is it always the call for a Christian subculture, Gen X, Gen Y, millennials, Mm. baby boomers, should we be different in the same way? Should we be different in different ways? How do we make sense of that counterculture call of faith? Well, that's that's a great point and Christians have consistently um, uh, not just being countercultural uh, for, for the sake of it, but but lived a life that was innovative, that was different to just the, the milieu of, of, of the broader context, such that people said, wow, I want something about it, or you've got a hope that I don't have, or you've got a calm amidst the chaos of my life, or mm. you've got a sense of peace that you project while I'm feeling volatility and uncertainty. That's that's something of how we live. So we're countercultural by the nature of our mm. worldview, of the call of Christ, and of how we behave. Mm. Um, I don't think we need to add extra countercultural elements like, well, let's sing in a different way to our society, or let's um, mm. let's uh, maybe um, throw off the old technology, the, the technology that everyone else is using, and let's go back to some older form. Yeah, yeah. Um, that sort of deliberative 
countercultural approach is, is unhelpful. I mean, look at Paul, um, again, the apostle at uh, in Athens when he was stranded there for a few weeks waiting for his friends. And he started his appeal to his to the community around him by by looking at where they were at, by yeah. connecting common points. Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, you're very religious people. I see, I wander around, I saw an, an altar even to an unknown God. And and he, he actually works to connect with his mm. um, community rather than to find those points of difference. Now, his point of difference comes through because he's not about unknown gods. He wants to declare the known God mm. and make that clear. But but he starts at the common point and yeah. brings the community along with him on the journey rather than pointing out the difference and highlighting that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Social science is uh, a descriptive endeavor. You're involved in looking at data and analyzing it and then presenting it in ways that make sense of that data. Um, ostensibly objective analysis. Faith is something that's a little more prescriptive. It, it's, it's establishing priorities and, and preferred modes of being. Do you, do you find any difficulty in teasing out those parts of your identity, your work being purely <clears throat> descriptive, your faith being something that recommends a preferred way of seeing the world? That's a great way of, of, of putting it, and, and there are some some, some differences there. Uh, but ultimately, science, whether it be behavioural science, which is the field I'm in, uh, whether it be experimental science, it's about uncovering truth. It's built mm. on facts. It mm. wants to deal in realities. And, and and as Christians, we're about truth. You know, we we are hyper realists when it comes to we want the truth. And so that is a great starting point for Christians, I think, in the world of the behavioral science. You know, we, we want to uncover the realities of what's taking place. We want to find out about this cohort and how we can best engage with them. It is a search for truth and for reality. And, and it is conducted, this, this uh, empirical analysis, or it might be a qualitative analysis because we have discussions, we have focus groups or in-depth interviews to try to find out where someone is at or, or, or what, they're, what they're feeling. It's still trying to uncover the reality, but it's done from a, from a sense of empathy, a sense of connection, a sense of humanity. So we're not separated from our subjects. We are one with our community. Mm. And I think Christians bring that good perspective as well. Mm. You know, we want to understand people. We want to um, understand and so bring about flourishing in our communities. And mm. that's the realm of the sociologist. They want to uncover truth, but they want to uncover that so that they can create flourishing, so that they can create thriving, yeah. so that the communities in which they are planted uh, will, will bring about some better outcomes. So it's, science, but it's not purely empirical. It's got an agenda. Mm. It's got a, a transformative, additional mm. uh, perspective to make their community a better place. And, and I think Christians are, are well poised to be those yeah. behavioral scientists um, in our world. That's good. That's good. So what I'm, what I'm hearing in that, Mark, is your analysis of, of a societal set of attributes and the discovery of what actually is isn't necessarily endorsing that's the way it should be. You're recognising the fact that what is is a fact, but 
we might want to do something to improve or to change or to yes. support, strengthen. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Exactly. You know, and there'll be times, there'll be times where um, the Christian behavioral scientist, the Christian sociologist, a psychologist, or anthropologist will look at a culture, an element in the culture, and champion that. Mm. You know, we're seeing that at the moment with um, viral kindness or mm. hashtag caremongering. You know, some of these these responses to these dark days amidst mm. COVID, where we're seeing our community get out there and give a call to someone, the neighbour who might be uh, isolated, who, who are buying extra items mm. uh, or paying for the odd person's groceries out there. We're seeing this sort of mindset in our community as people look at our brothers. And I think that's an element of our society where where a Christian will champion that mm. and, and celebrate that. And there's other practices or elements in our society where we won't endorse it or embrace it. We might want to redeem that element mm. of culture. Mm. Uh, you know, Christians have a habit of being reactionary. You know, maybe we see something dark um, through through the use of a particular technology like say social media and we'll say, but we should we should separate ourselves yeah. from that. Yeah. Um, and, and perhaps, you know, a good few years ago there were a lot of pastors or leaders saying, oh, Facebook's not helpful. You should get away from that. Well here we are um, in twenty twenty realizing and seeing all the churches use Facebook Live yeah, for yeah. their church services yeah. and we say, well actually that's a good thing. So that's an example of where Christians can redeem the culture rather than Dismiss the culture, and um, and we, you know, they said the same about the printing press four hundred years ago as well. Oh, yeah, I'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Some of the stuff getting printed. Well, we're probably not decrying yeah, yeah. the printing press, even though we might not love everything that's printed, because yeah. we see that it's a great technology, yeah. and uh, and it is up for Christians to be discerning and to redeem the culture sometimes, to celebrate the culture in other times, mm. uh, but but nonetheless to create. Uh, in their redemptive mindset that, that we have in Christ, mm. uh, create a better society than the one that we first saw. Mm. It, with that notion of the role or the potential role of Christians to be part of redeeming society, do you see that as um, the opportunity to to do that more gender in society or, or within the, the confines of the church, the expression of the church? For example, is it right for Christians to enter parliament and become the lawmakers to try and mm. express that redemption of society or that structuring of society in a way that, that reflects something better. Such an important issue for particularly young Christians to think through. And it, it took me a while. I was sort of slayed on my journey a fair while in this regard. And, and it's this, and this was the, the transformation I needed in my journey. I was raised again in a conservative church, and my perspective um, was from what I saw around me that there was an A team of Christians, and they were those who went to Bible college, became pastors or ministers or missionaries. Mm. They were on the front line, and that's who God was working. Then there's the B team, those <laughs> of us who maybe we don't feel a calling here or there, and we end up getting jobs as teachers or nurses or social researchers, and uh, and we fund the A-team to do that great ministry. And and that is a terrible mindset to have. And if we have led young people to think that there is a separation of the sacred and the secular, then we have done a job poorly as Christians. Mm. We are called, all of us, to be ministers. Mm. You know, the Reformation made that clear, and it wasn't the abolition of 
the clergy. Mm. It was the abolition of the laity. That's what it was really all about. Yes. There is, we're, we're all ministers for yes. Christ. It's the priesthood of all believers. And some of those priests or ministers might be pastors or missionaries and other priests or ministers, mm. Christians are working as or, uh, in supermarkets or, um, or, or house cleaners, whatever it may be. But we are all called to serve God. It's all ministry unto him. Mm. And it took me a while um, on my journey to recognize that. I thought that, uh, you know, I wanted to get into that A-team missional work and go to Bible college, but those doors never opened for me. And, and it, I finally realized that God had called me yeah, yeah. to be missional yeah. in my vocation. But it was as a social researcher. And, you know, as I've looked back now, I see, wow, God has opened doors for me to be a witness for himself, to share truth, and to uh, and to uh, be, if you like, a pastor to uh, the community, yes. uh, which I would never have got if my title was pastor yes. uh, or minister or missionary. In other words, God has a greater plan. And if we look through the Bible, we occasionally see a missionary or a pastor, but most of those people are, are working in government as cupbearers or maybe they're um, shepherds or yeah. fishermen or uh, carpenters or uh, or any other of those many vocations there um, as we have today. Mm. And we're all on the A-team serving God missionally and we need to understand that. And and, and that's, the, that's the great diversity that, that God has in his kingdom. He mm. equips us and calls us with so many different skills. And whether that be in government or politics, whether it be in business or entrepreneurialism, whether it be in technology or caring professions, or whether it be in that, that, that vocational uh, professional ministry, it's all of God and for God. And that's, uh, that's what we as Christians uh, really need to, to make sure we make clear. Amen. Amen, Mark. One last observation uh, before we let you... Um get about the rest of your day, you mentioned that each generation is affected by the events of their times. We're recording this podcast in the middle of some of the strictest lockdowns because of the COVID-19 scenario. Do you have any suspicions or projections as to what the impact of this event across the generational sectors might, might mean? Is mm. there a sense that it is a watershed moment? It sure is. And as we look at the impact of it, it's been overtaking the impacts of previous recessions and, and issues like the global financial crisis. The impacts are greater already, and we're still in the early throes of it, mm. but already greater than, than a 9-11 type circumstance. Mm. Um, it's getting up there with, with some of the ramifications of indeed the world wars such as the global nature of it, and the economic impacts are up there with not just recessions but depressions. So these are watershed times. As has been said, the biggest crisis in a century, uh, the, the most global crisis ever in terms of the billions involved mm. um, because of our, our, the size of our population globally and the connections that we have, um, so, so an absolutely transformative event, and it will leave impacts on the younger generations even more than the rest of us. Um, and it's transforming things. Mm. Now, yes, you know, we're looking at some of the challenges and the volatility, and the, obviously the health crisis. Uh, but with that, the economic crisis, 
uh, rising unemployment, insecurity there, falling values on stock markets and mm. housing markets, all big impacts and all impacting all of us mm. in personal ways. But there are a lot of uh, positives that are coming through as well. And we will see a lot of changes that won't just bounce back once this health crisis passes. And of course, it will pass. Uh, whether it be six months, whether it be 12, whether it lingers for 18 months, it will pass. Mm. Um, and they are things like the embracing of online learning. And we've had the technologies for a while. We've had the, the, the platforms for a while. We just never quite had the will to do it yeah. or, the, or the need to do it. And this has forced us into it. And it will transform learning uh, uh, ongoing. And not just this emergency response to teaching that we can't gather in classrooms, let's do our teaching, but we'll do it online. I'm talking online learning. I'm talking remote learning. I'm yeah. talking transforming how we learn ongoing yeah. and not just for school, but tertiary. It's changing how we work. Yeah. And we've all been forced into this remote working environment. And it's working um, reasonably well for a lot of uh, the, the knowledge economy. Now, now that's going to become more normative into the future. Yes, we will gather once more in offices because, again, as humans, we need that collegiality. We're social beings, and uh, and that community uh, is important. That that physical community, but there will be uh, not quite the same need for it uh, as we had prior to this. And certainly, there'll be a lot more telework, more remote working than we currently uh, that we than we saw prior. Um, we will see people. Uh, get back to a bit more of the financial conservatism that mm. we saw of our grandparents who knew tougher times because they heard stories of the depression or maybe they were shaped in the wars after the, the years after the war. And so, and so that, that um, valuing savings, that uh, being aware of what a discretionary spend is and is not, mm. uh, being more prudent with our expenses, uh, recognizing that things go up in value, but they can also drop mm. in value. Mm valuing a job and not thinking that, well, I'm just going to keep flipping across jobs until I find the one that I'm really loving, you know. Uh, some of those traditional values we saw in prior generations will come back very keenly yeah. Yeah, uh, after this. And, and I think there's some great positives to all of that. Yeah. In, in lots of ways, that's telling the story, isn't it, of, of what those traditional values were grounded in past experience and, and understanding why some of our predecessors held those values can can help us craft a way out of of where we happen to be right now. Totally, totally right, and that's where you know the value of our grandparents, of the elders in our society, is so key. We just ran some a research on COVID nineteen just in the last week, and and we we looked at how resilient Australians are feeling, and we compared that across the generations. And as we might expect, the older generations are feeling less resilient from a health perspective. They're more aware of mm. how this virus impacts them. And they're less resilient from a financial perspective because they rely on that superannuation Super. savings. They don't have the same years of capacity to increase earnings as young people have. But they were the most resilient emotionally from Isn't a mental right? health perspective mm. compared to young people who are really feeling anxious at these times and feeling uncertain about their future. The older generations, they've been around the block a few more times, they can put something like this into perspective mm. and they can say to us, this too will pass. Yes. You know, keep the important things important, keep loving your family, keep yeah. focusing on those timeless realities of your life and the and the rhythms of life. Um, get by as much as you can. This won't be permanent. Uh, and, and they are well-placed 
uh, to be resilient emotionally and to help the rest of us keep things in perspective as well. And that's just a little example of how generational differences play out because of our lived experience. Yeah, that's good. And a a nice way to finish our conversation, Mark, to remind us that while generations come and go and change, there are elements of our humanity that uh, we we carry with us and uh, they're they're resilient to to the things, the circumstances of life. Uh, Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing your insights. Thank you for the work that you do in our community and for the way in which you are continuing to be available for God to do his work through you and through your work and through your company. Appreciate your time. Uh, delighted to be here. Thanks for the inspiration that this project offers and, uh, and thanks to all the listeners. God bless you, Mark. 